This morning we're continuing our series called Red Letters. Obviously, it's hard to find any, so I've been scraping around this week to see if I can find something to preach on. Uh, But no, you know, one of the biggest challenges with that is how do you narrow it down? Jesus obviously said so many profound things that you could start a church on those things. You could be around a long time preaching on those things. Josiah told me this, I think it's last week, we just did our 300th sermon here at Renovation Church. Yeah. Six years ago today, we opened the doors. Six years ago today, we opened the doors of Renovation Church. I don't know if we have one of the pictures of that. I think the first day there of, of uh, you know, it's what it looked like. Those who walked in that day, it was a different place. You know, we came here with a dream. That dream is not left. But we are starting our seventh year, and scripturally, seven is very significant. It's very significant. It can be and is used for all kinds of different things in Scripture. Achievement, completeness, rest. I'm, I'm, I'm voting for rest, but, uh, but I don't think that's the case. don't think that's what's going to happen. Uh, in Scripture, it talks about it's used so many different times, not only in creation, but in, all the way to Revelation. It's in Genesis and Revelation. I mean, seven churches. In the beginning, there were seven days, and they were sitting. It's sevens all over it. I believe we're starting a significant year. I genuinely believe that. I don't really know what all that means. And we can sit around and go, well, well, you always say that. And I get that. But for whatever reason, I believe God is doing something or wanting to do something. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. A lot of things have changed in six years. I used to have hair right here. I don't now. No, but a lot of things have changed. It's not been a straight line. It's been this. But his mercies are new every day. He is faithful. And we've proven it over and over. He has proven himself over and over. Luke chapter 14. Can I be honest with you? I usually, hopefully, you'd rather me lie to you. I hope that's not the opposite of that. There are days I step up here you play through it you just play through it I don't know if you know what that means if you've played sports you play through it 
I'm the kind of guy who, who you can take that down just for a second. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ramble for a second. I believe God gives us responsibilities and we continue to walk in that and be faithful. I hope and pray what comes out today, and I'm not trying to give you a disclaimer and trying to, I, I just, I, I want to step up here when Josiah told me it was 300 sermons. Obviously, I haven't preached every one of those, uh, you know, those who are here, and we believe God has given us a rhythm here, and he's raised up leaders and, and, and speakers and, and, and anointed speakers, so that's been awesome to see. But I also am the kind of person, I don't want to really speak unless I have something to say. Especially in this setting, because I know the responsibility it takes to step into this. And I take that very seriously. So I hope and pray today that what I'm going to share with you is something that is stirring in my heart. I'm just not sure it'll come out of my mouth the way I, it's going on in my, inside of my mind. If you, and, and those who have spoken a long time know this, especially up front. You wish you just had a couple more hours to finish it up. I think as Winston Churchill wrote a letter to one of the other leaders in the world, he said, if, uh, this would have been a shorter letter if I'd have had more time. <laughs> Here we go. Luke chapter 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisee and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. They knew the answer, right? They they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when the host comes to you, he will say to you, friend, move to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be paid at the resurrection of the righteous. Well, let me set this up a little bit. No doubt Jesus is being set up here. There's no no question about that. Okay? He's being invited to a Pharisee's house. He's, He's being invited... In, and they're going to have someone there that they're going to put Jesus in a, an unusual circumstance, not unusual, but a, a circumstance where they know what he's going to do. It's on the Sabbath. They're going to bring someone who is, they've invited someone who is crippled, who is lame. They've invited them intentionally, not because they are concerned about him, but because they're going to use this poor person, this sick person, to trip Jesus up, they think. <laughs> 
not trip him up, but make him have to make a decision. Of course, Jesus always asks a question, doesn't he? Jesus never just leaves it there. He always puts it back on them, which he does here. And, in, and as Jesus sat and he watched and he looked at this setting, he, it reminded him, and of course Jesus is probably already way ahead of this. I don't know how his mind worked and all this. If it just spurred the moment, something jumps in his mind, or he went with that intention. But he sits there and he looks at this, the way the tables were set up. And the way the tables were set up, basically, uh, the tables were square or whatever, but, but there were places, there were, would be three or four on one, uh, three on one side, three on another side, three on another side, three on another side. And the person who sat in the middle was at the place of honor. So as they walked in, there was just this natural, especially the Pharisee, to want to be sitting where? In the middle. So Jesus deals with this. But what I love about this is that Jesus uh, also, in, in Psalm 23, you know, uh, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil. In that, in that, that we've all memorized, he gives me, he sets me at a table in the presence of my enemies. Have you ever really processed that out? Well, what does that mean for for? For God to put me in the presence at the table in the presence of my enemies. Well, Jesus gave this a visual of that. He intentionally went to places. Now, there were times Jesus, the word said, he kind of snuck out. He kind of like vanished. He kind of mystically left. I don't know how that worked. We know later after the resurrection, he could walk through doors. We know, I don't know how exactly he just left. But we know he did. But there are times he intentionally put himself in the presence at the table of his enemies. Places of honor were not unusual either, were they even within the disciples? James and John. Now, I always loved James and John, what they were known for. They were called, the sons of David, they were called what, though? The sons of what? Thunder. Now, if you were going to get a t-shirt made, are you going to have hashtag sons of thunder? I don't know if there's a better kind of hashtag you can have than just go, that's who I am. That's who I hang with. That's what we're known by. We are the sons of thunder. You could get this chance. Yeah, I won't go into a chant, but but here they are. They've been walking with Jesus. And in Mark chapter 10, I love this passage of scripture. One of them is I love, first off, I love the way Jesus sometimes gives us enough rope. You know what I mean? I mean, I love it when I read it in Scripture, Jesus goes, yeah, just go ahead. Go ahead. Keep that in mind as we read. (laughs) Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I love this. What do you want me to do for you? Can you imagine that Jesus going, okay, buddy. I'm going to give you enough rope here. This is going to get real uncomfortable, but let's go ahead. Since you've approached me this way, if that's actually how it was done, just think about Jesus, you walking up to Jesus. I'm going to want you to do whatever I ask. Okay, go ahead and ask. 
Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? He knew what was coming. We can, they answered. And Jesus said, you will. But it's not what you think. You will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, okay, they became indignant with James and John. Can't blame them. And Jesus does this. Okay, let's huddle up. Bring everything in. Okay, let's just get that. For once and for all, I'm going to share with you about what this picture is supposed to look like. Everybody get it. Maybe I hadn't shared it with you before. We don't know what all they had learned up to this point. But at this point now, Jesus is going to everybody huddle up. Everybody needs to be on the same page. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be the first be, first be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're so much like James and John, right? We want our places with Jesus without having to pay the price to be there. I think we live in a culture, we have lived, we've lived in a culture so much in the U.S., especially in the church, and there's been so many of these theological uh, of, uh, bantering around that if you even talk about having to pay a price to follow after Christ or anything, they, they, somebody, some people try to make it connected to the fact that you're working out your salvation. So it excuses you from having to pay a price. Because I'm afraid if I pay a price or I have to discipline or I have to sacrifice anything along that line because of a theological thought that it might get confused me working my salvation and I'm doing all my merits. Oh yeah, every Saturday almost it seems like in my neighborhood we have someone walk in the neighborhood knocking on the exact same doors they knocked on two weeks, well, maybe it's every two weeks, I guess it is. Working out their merits. I get that. I believe there is always a danger of that. But there is a price to pay. And we don't want to pay it. To follow after him. The reason is because servanthood, as Jesus is talking about here, goes against everything we're ingrained and grown up with. It requires us to deny all and put others in front of us. And I'll just be honest with you, most of the time it's not met with excitement. 
It contradicts everything that our, na- our natural, edemic nature says. Everything inside of us says us first. We've talked about this before here. If we're not careful, we think everything revolves around us because we came into this world with that thought that everybody else is bit players. We're the main player. As much as we love everybody around us, doesn't matter if it's our spouse or our children or our parents, we still think we are the central player in this drama. Unless, unless the spirit comes in, begins to change us. Unless the spirit comes in, begins to let us to see around us. We never were the central piece of this. It's about him and it's about them, but he chooses to use us to get there. It contradicts everything in us. And what I'll say to you, and I love this passage of scripture. Jesus is saying, when you go to a banquet, when you go somewhere, humble yourself And go to the least honored. Matter of fact, he's, I would guess he's probably saying there won't need to be anybody else sitting there anyway. <laughs> you won't have to fight for that seat. You know all the seats we fight for? And you want to get to the front? He said you won't be fighting for those because nobody else is wanting them. So you're always assured of a seat, right? And the whole concept of serving, I love the word, and it's the word that we, we use the word deacon in Scripture. It's the word diakonos. Diakonos is, is the word for servanthood. It literally means the word servanthood there in this word in the Greek. And diakonos means kicking up dust. It means that when we hear our master give us specific directions... We are so compelled and so desire to do what he asks, we kick up dust trying to get there. That's literally what that means. John the Baptist. Jesus said about John the Baptist... And there's different reasons, and we're not going to teach on that this morning. But Jesus says that he is the one of the... If anybody born of, born of woman, he is the greatest. Let me tell you what John did not confuse. His role with Jesus. John knew he was called for a purpose to serve a purpose. John had to humble himself. Matter of fact, he had followers. He had disciples himself. So when Jesus comes along, what do they start doing? They start following Jesus. What did John go, wait a second, I've paid a price. I've been eating locusts. I've let my hair grow. I've been out here. I haven't haven't been able to drink alcohol. I haven't been able to do any of this. I'm a deprived man. And now you're going to take my people that I've been leading? That is not what he did. Oh, yeah, there's a time where John's about to lose his head for Jesus. And what does he do? He sends his disciples to Jesus and go, hey, could you just ask him if he's the one or should I look for somebody else? Because I'm about to die for this cause and I just want to be sure. (laughs) What does Jesus send back to him? Oh, yeah, you go back and tell John. The lame walk, the blind see. But blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. 
blessed, blessed, you want to live a blessed life? Blessed is the man who does not fall away on the count of following after me. Blessed is him. John knew his role. John served. John got out of the way. John didn't ask to be elevated. He just asked, he just tried to be faithful. You can always tell. If a person has a servant's heart, I think, by why that, what they're willing and unwilling to do. What may be below you? You thought about that recently? To humble yourself. You know, God will always test us in menial tasks. He, he will ask us to do thing below, things below our abilities and gifts and graces. He, he will just ask us to. Every once in a while, he'll give you kitchen duty or a foot washing assignment. I think just to see. I think we should run towards those, embrace those personally. I think they're all around us. See, I believe when you're truly born again, and I think this is something the Lord's been reminding me of, you're continually moving away from self-centered, it's all about me, to other-centered, God-centered. Because the only way you can ever really do that is the Spirit working in you. You know, next week we have our board elections. I'll just be honest with you, it's not my favorite way of just going about doing things, having come in here and vote. I mean, like we do, but it is the way we do it. I'm not, you know, if it's going out to church of the Nazarene, I love them. But I, 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 don't, I just wish you could just, you know, it's what we do. And it's okay. I don't, I don't push back against it. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I just think there might be a better way. It may have worked anyway. But, but what I love is, in Acts chapter 6, how were they chosen? How were their first elder board, their deacon board chosen? I love this. You know, Jesus, you know in, in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, in those days when the number of disciples were increasing the Hellenistic uh, Jews among them complained about the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked. By, what I love about this, people were complaining. It hasn't changed, just so you know. <laughs> people were complaining, just complaining, complaining, complaining. Okay, just is what it is. Uh, but what I love is uh, we're con- being overlooked in the daily distribution of fu- food. And it should be, somebody should bring it up. Okay, I think complaining might be the strong word there, but okay. The t- so the 12 gathered at the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word. First off, I just want you to let that rest on you a second. How many of you ever watched Last Man Standing? 
It's, it's probably the best show ever. No, I don't know what he says. But <laughs> last night, I was watching the one from Friday night. Their pastor, I just, is getting out, looking at retiring. Because he said, you know, for 30 minutes a week, I get to do what I love to do. He said, but for the rest of the week, this is on the last man standing. Again, there's some things in there that, I, you know, don't necessarily I agree with fully. But as I watched that thought, what do the disciples do? Listen to this. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and give them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. What I love about it is it took full of the Holy Spirit and of good reputation just to wait on tables. Just to wait on tables. This proposal pleased the whole group. Wow. You know, it reminds me when we, when we closed this church, many of you, when we closed this church, uh, and, and when, when this congregation, before I was a part of the congregation, the former Biltmore Church of Nazarene, voted 51 to 0 uh, back in May of 2012. That's unusual to not get one no vote. Please the whole group. They chose Stephen. Remember Stephen? First Christian martyr. Philip, the evangelist, had four daughters who prophesied. These guys became known. The rest of the five, well, they just kind of faded into history. <laughs> to us, they did. I have a feeling not to those people. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. When you get the things in order... When those who are called to serve understand why they serve and they begin to step into the places they're supposed to serve. Not worried about sitting at the head or at the least or anywhere in between, but they're just stepping into what God's called them to do. It begins to change things. It changes things. Full of the Holy Spirit and of good reputation and willing to be obedient. You know, I, I, I know that we live in such a political environment. Let me see what time it is. We live in such a political environment. We're so divided about so many different things that we're not even willing to listen. I think we are, most of us are, but I'm just talking about in general. You hear it being, you know, volleyed back and forth and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes we just look at people and go, well, they just need to get their act together and they need to start just just doing what they're supposed to do. 
Part of that reason I think, I think, I think we say that's because we're able to wash our hands of it. Right. It's part of the reason we do that. It's just easier than to get involved and to serve. But can you imagine... I mean, we, we may have people here who, who, who are broken right now, who, who need help, that are just coming, starting in their faith, who need help. Uh, but, but we don't know them well enough. We're not going to connect ourselves well enough to even find out what's going on. It kind of reminds me, the other night we had a, we had a Cameron and, and Macy, Cameron's seven, Macy's four, our granddaughters spend the night with us almost every Friday night. But some Friday night, but last uh, two weeks ago, uh, <clears throat> Macy... She just decided to throw up in the middle of the night. I don't know if you've ever had this happen in your home. But just so happened, though, they never sleep. In, they, have, they usually sleep in a different bedroom. They just happened to sleep in our bedroom that night. I was, in, I was in another bedroom. Jan and the two girls were in there. And Macy just happened to throw up on my side. <laughs> Do you know what we told her? She's sitting there with, lack of a better word, say vomit all over, all over the guys. Clean yourself up. Get up from here. You made this mess. You go do something about it. Know what happened was, at 1.30 in the morning, I'm at, out, and those of you who know our property, have a little barn out behind our house. I had sheet. I had, I don't know what all I had, strung out across the face. It looked like I was cleaning up a murder scene. Okay, that's what it looked like. <laughs> if somebody would have looked out of their house at 1.30 in the morning and looked over at our house with me with a water hose, trying to wash off all this vomit and all this, it's what it looked like. I can't ask a four-year-old. I have to get involved. I have to step in into the mess. Now, if it was our 24-year-old, in that moment, I'd have probably stepped into the mess too. Because in that moment, it's just sick. In that moment, you almost can't. Somebody's got to step into the gap. And when we run from that, when we say, no, 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 I'm privileged, I'm entitled, I don't need, because see, I'm an American. I'm about to get myself in deep water here, <laughs> but I don't care. I am proud to be an American, but not about being proud to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe one of the reasons God has made us great because we have, at least for the most part over our life, have humbled ourselves and willing to help people. I, I believe that. You know, used to, God used the United States of America to send missionaries all over the world. times we probably didn't do it very well i would i would say that didn't do it well at all we actually kind of 
had a little bit of our own imperialism, if you're not, if you, in, 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 under the guise of Christ. I'm not saying we've done it great. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But what I will say is this. God had blessed us in so many different ways to be able to have the ability to do that. You know now we are in a mission field. Other countries are sending, in the Nazarene church are sending missionaries to us. Now just think about that just a second. And they should be. You know, we're not entitled to donuts and coffee on Sunday morning, just so you know. We're not entitled to air conditioning. As a matter of fact, growing up in the United States, most of you in here, some of you chose to be here. Some of you were born here. You didn't even have a choice. And somehow, it's kind of like saying you got, you know, you're 6'6", and somehow you're proud of that. You had no, you had no say so in that, to brag on that. I'm entitled to these things because I'm this tall. I'm entitled to this because, I, no. God says, humble yourself. I will lift you up, 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and I will lift you up in due time. Due time. On my time. On my schedule. But what I'm asking you to do is to humble yourself. He goes on in Luke 14, 15 through 24. When one of those at the table with him, this is, we read 14 earlier, when one of those at the table with him heard this, they said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, inviting many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. I just bought a house. I just graduated from college. I just, I, I just had my first baby. I just want to. It's March Madness. <clears throat> I'm trying to lose 20 pounds. That's more important. But what I appreciate about this story is the first said, I have just bought a field. I must go see it. Please, excuse me. I like the please part of it. Southern. Another said, I just thought, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. In other words, live your life in such a way that they can't help but want what you've got. So that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited, in other words, those who made the excuses. Of course, that's the Pharisees in this story. There's a lot of other. We'll get a taste of my banquet. No thanks. I have my own agenda. No thanks, I'm working towards retirement, even though there's not a biblical precedent for retirement. 
And they just assume because they live in the United States of America, they assume because I'm associated with this country, because I'm, I'm assuming I'm entitled to be in the kingdom, the feast at the end of the day, because I'm a part of this. Many people believe that people are sitting around out here around us in these houses on a regular basis. Looking for a church to call their home. I'd say they probably don't identify it that way at all. For the most part, they're not. But I do believe we're probably lonelier than we've ever been in culture. The more connected we are, the less connected we really are. They may not even know the right question to ask. Is a church a place I could go and be connected? Because they probably don't even see us this way. People go, a lot of times go, well, I wonder what people are thinking about the video. I wonder, as a Christian, I'm, my, my answer is many times, they're not thinking about you. They're really not thinking about the church as part of the answer. But I think humility plays an enormous role if we are going to be part of the answer. It's going to play a huge role. You know, we did a series back a few months ago called The Blessed Life. But I'll tell you this. I don't know that we need another evangelism strategy or anything else. We need a blessing strategy. That's what I think will begin to make the difference in our community is we begin to bless our community. Uh, We intentionally figure out ways to bless them. I think there's creative ways you can figure out how to do it. But what I am confident is this. Is that God is already at work in our community. Whether we want to be there or not. He's already stirring hearts of men and women. And looking for a group of people. Who would be that type of church. Where first would humble itself, who would hang out even with potential enemies. Even though I hopefully don't consider people enemies, but you know what I'm saying. That you would go to people. Let me say this. If you live a blessing strategy, it'll take you to places you never imagined. You'll be in people's lives you never thought you'd be in. It won't be boring. You have to have margin to do that. You have to have a lot of space to do that. But you have to have an intentional heart and hope to do that. You have to have a great hope. And what's awesome is you don't have to carry Jesus to them. Just help them recognize the Savior who's been chasing after them all their life. But humility, just because I think I have the answer to it all, Jesus Christ, doesn't make me better than people. I may be better off because I know Christ is my Savior, but I'm sure not better. It humbles us. 
What did he tell John and tell the, ten, the 12 when he huddled them together? Guys, I'm about to tell you something here. It's going to be just the opposite of what you've watched and what you've seen. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. There's a list of things out there that you can be involved in. Family promises coming up. And I would say this, for me, this is me personally. I think over this next year, either we will become a church like that, and we will be pushing to become a church like that, or it'll have to look different. I love, read this this week, says, uh, talking about a movement versus a church, or just having a gathering of people, or just a ministry. He said a movement becomes, a ministry becomes a movement when people begin to multiply their lives into other people. Even over this next month, I, I would hope that you would be looking, go, who can I invite over this to Easter, if nothing else? Maybe it's just an easier time just or to extravaganza or whatever it may be, but just to invite someone. But no question, and when a movement happens, the lost are connected to Jesus. Broken people are healed. I love the fact when it says here... Uh, <clears throat> When you go out into the streets, it said to, to the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. There should be a hallelujah right there. Because I'm going to tell you, when I came in, I was broken. And I hopefully it continually be broken for his glory. But those are the ones he's seeking to come in. Those are the ones really who only can, can come in. I think around the world where you see the church growing, like leaps and bounds rapidly increasing, is they have come to this conclusion that this invitation is something amazing. It's not something you're entitled to. It's not something like, oh yeah, I read about that in Sunday school. No, the around the world where the church is growing is these people are blown away that the God of creation, the God who created all this would invite them into the banquet. And it changes everything. We've lost our amazement in the U.S. As a, as a whole. I'm saying there's not pockets. The word says to humble yourself. This past Friday, many of you probably saw this. I appreciate President Jimmy Carter. I didn't vote for him. In 1976, I was 16 years old, so I got an excuse for a lot of reasons, but <laughs> naval grad, him and Rosalind there. Next picture, here they are now, 94 years old, he is. Been married 73 years. One reason I have a heart, not because of my politics, don't get misunderstood, there's some political things he and I would definitely disagree on, or as far as stances, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. 94 years old, he's the longest living president ever. He, as of Friday, he was one day older than George H. Bush. Okay? 
94. He and Rosalind have been married 73 years. He said the greatest decision he's ever made is asking her to marry him. But this is a man from a town of 700 in the south. Makes me feel a little at home. Who dedicated his life since he's been out of the presidency to being at the, not at the head table. In my opinion. He said when he left the presidency, he was going to spend the rest of his life basically is doing as Jesus did, washing the disciples' feet. Habitat for Humanity has exploded in what they've been involved with. It's been unbelievable what they've done over the last 30-something years. The Guiana worm, I think it's Guiana worm, Guiana worm that was in water in 1984, I think it was 3.5 million people a year infected by it last year in 2018. They decided to make that their mission in life was to exterminate that worm. Last year there were 28 cases. And he says he hope he lives long enough where it's gone. He says he thinks he has a shot. My point is, folks, but he teaches Sunday school every Sunday at the Baptist church. A few hundred people there. He and Rosalind stay and take pictures with people as long as they want to take pictures, basically is what I understand. What I'm saying to you today is, is stepping down from the head table, letting Christ be seen in your life surrendering you do with this what you will I shared with the board last month and shared with the staff I drive off this campus on a regular basis after six years here almost seven years this summer since I've been here six years since we've opened palms up before I drive And just saying, Lord, this is yours. This is yours. I surrender it to you. If you need me out of the way, move me out of the way. Just don't kill me to do it. (laughs) Okay, selfish part of that prayer, okay? (laughs) But your will be done. Your will be done done on this campus and if that means you need another leader I'm just saying whatever it is your will be done surrender is freeing it doesn't free us from responsibility but it does free us from the outcome Lord your will be done just stand with me as we close in prayer if I'd have had more time, this had been a shorter message, like I said earlier. Let me ask you a couple of questions, and we're going to go eat together. Hopefully, you'll stay. Bless you. If you're not, I know other people have other plans, but I just hope you'll stick around. One question is this. Is there anything right now, just as Jesus gave the example of sending people out into the highways and byways, inviting people in, is there anything right now that you're holding on to that says, yeah, but I can't serve, I can't go, I can't do, I can't 
Because this is more important right now. When I say something more important, more important than following after Christ with all your heart. Whatever that is. For some of you, there may be some things right now you just need to do palms up. When I surrender this to you. And whatever you tell me to do. Whether I need to go do something or I need to let go of something or I need to move out of the way. Whatever that is, I will take the interpretation of diakonos and I will kick up dust trying to obey what you're asking me to do. There's nothing about what I'm asking you right now is natural to to you. (laughs) What I'm asking you right now is for something supernatural to happen in you. Because we don't naturally want to do any of the things I've just said. (laughs) Let me pray for us and we'll go. Lord, we come before you now. I hope and pray with humble hearts. Lord, as I know I have wrestled with this all week, what you're doing in my life, what you're trying to show me, how that plays out in just my life, let alone what it would mean in the leadership of this church. What it means as a father, as a husband, as a grandfather, as a friend, as a brother. What does this mean as a neighbor, as a citizen of not only this country, but of the human race? To see people around us, even maybe some of our quote-unquote enemies that we would sit at the table with them. And just get to know them humbly. Humbly. I I pray that those who will, just with open hands, palms up. Maybe there's something right now they need to surrender. They need to give it to you. They don't surrender their responsibility. They'll do what they need to do. But they surrender the outcome to you. Lord, right now there is something that we've got our, almost as if we've got our, our, our fist clenched on holding on to that is keeping us, literally keeping us from stepping in to the fullness of what you have. I pray that you reveal that, Lord, and we begin to let go of that. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for this property that almost 50 years ago there was an idea. There was a hope that this church and this property would be a light not only in this community but around the world. Lord, we continue that hope. Help us to know how to do that. With palms up and open. We give it to you. Lord, now bless our time together as a, as a community. And those who can stay, Lord, bless those who may have to leave. But bless our time together. As you use these times around tables. To connect us for your glory. Lord, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hope you stick around. If not, have a great week in his name. An uncommon week. Love you.